Hello and welcome to the Chris Hill Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Kevin Chan. We talked about myopia management in general. We discussed treehouse eyes and really we talked about how do you incorporate the, the conversations that you need to have with pediatricians, family uh, physicians, community health centers, other eye care providers related to explaining the importance of myopia management, explaining the services that you offer for myopia management. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Dr. Chan. Uh, please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. So today I want to talk about the My Day Multifocal for just a second. It has been a really great thing in our practice for our patients who are presbyopes of all areas, but you know those tricky presbyopes are always the ones that are kind of emerging where they don't want to give up any of their faraway vision, but they're having some struggles up close. And so what uh, the My Day Multifocal has been able to do for us is to allow those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. And then as we have those patients progress into other levels where they need more ad powers, it's been a nice smooth transition. So the ultimate hurdle that we've seen in our practice before the My Day Multifocal was that we'd have patients who would resist any transition to a multifocal lens because of that distance blur. We just haven't seen that. So if you haven't started using My Day Multifocal in your practice, I would encourage you to start. Check it out. Uh, contact, reach out to your Cooper reps for those trial lenses uh, and commit to My Day Multifocal for your patients. I think they're going to like it. If you haven't checked out MacuHealth yet for your patients in Category 1 through Category 4, I think there's a lot of evidence that you should be considering. The first is if we just look at AREDS 2 and what they, they talk about, MacuHealth is a, so for patients in Category 3 and Category 4 um, AMD, MacuHealth is a great option for them that follows that entire, um, that entire protocol, and it also adds mesozeaxanthine to the mix, which if you look at some of the evidence, I believe shows me that it's going to thicken the macular pigment better than without mesozeaxanthine. It also uses the a correct AREDS2 dose of zinc uh, at 25 milligrams, and so you don't have to worry so much about the potential side effects of zinc. The other thing to, to think about, and it's beyond the scope of this, although you've probably heard me talk on other podcasts, is that in patients in category one and two, there may be some additional benefit uh, to supplementing them with something that may be a little bit less than the AREDS2, so you don't have to add as much to it. And that's where I use the MacuHealth LMZ3. And so I think if you haven't done this yet, I'd consider MacuHealth in your practice and for your patients. And it's been great for my patients, and, um, and we really feel like we have the ability to uh, help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. When we talked, when we met the first time, you know, one of the things that, that made me want to talk to you was first is I've seen you, I've seen you kind of around the stuff that you've been doing with Treehouse Eyes and some of the things that you've been doing with the myopia management. So it's always fun to kind of meet somebody in person that you admire from afar and see doing things from far away. And so thanks, first of all, for coming on the podcast. Second of all, you know, 
I think it'd be interesting to kind of work through this evolution with you related to myopia management. You know, Treehouse has gotten a lot of, of uh, publicity. My sense is that you, now you're probably going to be humble about this, but my sense is that a lot of what has allowed them to do what they do is basically having a really great model physically that they can point to. And you're sort of the guy in that. Is that correct? Yeah, so I've been fortunate enough to join the practice six years ago, and um, I was the founding optometrist for Treehouse Size. So at that time, I have zero uh, patient base. So that pretty much, I start from ground up. You know, I recruit patients from cold calling or uh, distributing flyers to different schools and stuff like that. And that's how I get my feet um, solid um, in, in, the, in, the, in the practice and um, but yeah, I mean, I've been giving so much opportunity and also um, work really hard to get the get the um, public awareness of myopia out to the parents. So they're getting more aware of this and be more vigilant about what we can do to help their kids out. So a lot of this becomes kind of this harder work that that needs to be done. Most of us and I'm included, you know, there the. Uh, so I've been in practice for 14 years and you know when I got into practice 2008 hit we didn't take any managed vision care in the practice my dad had dropped it probably 6 years 5 or 6 years prior and you know one of the mistakes he made was that he referred all those patients who had instead of being like well we're an out of network provider we're still on your medical plans blah 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 one of the mistakes and he would admit this the mistakes that he made was he would, he just sent them to other good providers in the area, especially with our vision source connections. He's like, look, this is a great doc. They're right down the street. They take your insurance, see them, you know, they'll take care of them. And so, uh, so take nothing away from them. They had to still build their practices. But, but, uh, by the time I came into practice, he wouldn't have been able to handle all those patients over that amount of time. But, but it was 2008, things had collapsed and we needed a patient, you know, an income flux or an influx of patients into the practice. And so most of us, we did what most people do is you start accepting more managed vision care plans. And then there's this kind of life cycle that occurs where you look at your managed vision care plans and I look at my schedule and, and my patient population and uh, most of my patients are no longer, you know, they're, they're being managed for other diseases. And so I've had these conversations with my associates because probably the one pain point that almost every single practice uh, has to go through is how do we... Um, how do we attract new patients and, and when they have medical conditions and they have a managed vision care plan, which is becoming more and more pernicious in the sense of, you know, patients on Medicare with glaucoma have managed vision care. Well, when you are, accept that, that patient comes in, even if they've never had, if, even if you've never provided managed vision, like comprehensive or routine services for them in the past, they now all of a sudden think they need to have this. And so I had these conversations with my associate of my associates by saying, okay, well, if we're going to move away from managed vision care plans, which, which uh, would allow us to not have, even though we've, we manage that kind of back and forth of the patient really well in the practice, we've got a good handle on it. The one source of conf conflict that usually occurs, if, if there is a source of conflict in the office, it is almost exclusively related to, well, this managed vision care plan, you know, I sh we wanted it this way and it was done this way. Or, you know, I, I, I didn't un understand that uh, this was going to be covered. This isn't, this is covered. Why isn't this other thing covered? And, you know, et cetera. So that becomes like this one barrier. It's always this constant theme. And across the country, that's kind of this constant theme for practices that they have to, if they can manage it well, which we have, they can overcome it. 
But I say to my associates, I say, look, if you guys want to go away from this, it's not going to hurt me, right? Probably not that much. My, my, my actual like professional income, it might hurt me a little bit as a business owner, but, but really how are you going to get patients? Like, what are you going to do to get patients in the door? Because now all of a sudden it's not like you get to sit back and, and wait for those patients to find you. You're going to have to do what Kevin Chan did, right? You're going to have to go kind of beat, beat on doors, so I say all of that to say, mm-hmm. is that an accurate assessment in your in your view of about how the, the other ways you're going to have to market to the public? And if that's the case, then kind of walk me through that process for you and how you acquired, you know, attracted new patients uh, really in a step by step by step way. Yeah, so that's a really great question. I wish I could have a million dollar answer for you. <laughs> but I think I will just share my little experience about treehouse size. And as you probably know, but for some of those of you who are not fully aware of what treehouse size does, we are the referral base myopedetica clinic. And uh, we are based in Washington, D.C. area. And uh, we are a really unique mod- business model in a way that we actually don't take any insurance. Every patient I'm seeing, they're self-paid or uh, through a uh, uh, flex spending account or health spending account using out-of-the-pocket money. And that is a really um, uh, challenge for, just like many of you know, your practice, you're saying you know, um, a lot of business financial challenges, especially during um, the financial crisis, not every family can support or afford uh, the treatment for myopia management. So we definitely have hit a lot of like roadblock to see how we can open up or more, or try to overcome more barrier so that we can help benefit more families. So one of the big strategy we've been using is try doing word of mouth. As probably you know, primary care is a great source of word of mouth. And if you treat one uh, sibling, the younger sibling, younger sibling will probably follow suits. Um, the parent would never follow. I mean, leave them up, leave them aside, and treat one kid but not the other. So you can definitely set up a good role model. Okay, when you treat one kid successfully, then they would, you know, definitely bring the second kid or even third kid to bring your practice. So I have a lot of um, existing family who actually grow into multiple families just because of the word of mouth. And uh, especially because of the uniqueness of a model, and uh, we cannot really advertise, you know, how many um, insurance panel we're in. You know, in fact, it's going to be counterproductive, you know. So we need to work harder to get the word out by um, um, outsourcing, you know, some of the marketing tool to the public school, um, you know, um, and also uh, community health center. You know, let the word out so that uh, parent will actually find you, just as you said. They will come find you based on your credential and your expertise. In fact, I'm very fortunate enough that I have seen growing number of patients who are actually not in my community. They're actually graduated from different state or even fly out of state to come see us. So that's a really huge um, testimonial for us that we have been doing a really good job. Yeah, I think I think to get a little bit more specific, because I think all that stuff is is how it starts to travel and becomes a snowball, just like any any practice that's doing those things well. It does become this snowball effect where you know you you have more patients than you can take care of, right? So that's a great thing to have happen. It does happen with many practices with sort of this traditional model. So give me an idea of when you're going to primary care doctors. You're talking primary eye care 
pediatricians, and then to develop those relationships, give a, give the listeners a sense of what you had to do to kind of open those doors at the beginning. Community health centers. I saw you did a TEDx talk. So kind of how do you open the doors for those things to let to to start building those those relationships? I think for the for the arena of a myopia management, one of our biggest uh, target is talking to a pediatrician, you know, because they have the biggest source of um, patient base for you to, um, um, you know, not, not to take the patient, but kind of share the patient care with them. And obviously they are not too keen or too interested in, you know, providing comprehensive vision care. All they, all they do is just to provide vision screening, pass or fail. And uh, at that time, when we first started, you know, I actually visit, doc, um, knock door to door, you know, to different pediatric office to kind of introduce ourselves and um, let us let them understand what we can provide for them. And especially for our expertise in um, um, pediatric vision care. So that is how we can open the door and uh, spark the conversation. Some of the pediatrician may not be too keen on um, um, getting into it just because of the insurance low reimbursement rate, but that is uh, actually a really good source for you to get into, tap into. Because if you said, "Oh, you don't, uh, you don't want to take that insurance uh, uh, patient because of the low reimbursement rate," maybe we can help you out. Let me take care of your patient, provide them, you know, uh, whatever they need for myopia. And then we'll send the patient back to you, CC to your uh, pri- uh, primary eye care doctor. Then all three uh, provider will actually, you know, serve the best interest for your patient. We're not taking any financial interest for your patient, but we do actually can can uh, share some of the workload that you're you're struggling with. Because I know from my conversation with them, I think uh, vision care or vision screening is by far the least um, favorite thing they want to do in the entire uh, physical check. And so yeah. that that is a, probably the first thing that we have tackled um, previously. And then a second thing is to, um, you know, talk about um, to different school, different community health center. And I know community health center is also a big challenge, mainly because the um, popular patient is a little bit more moderate to low income. And not every family is inclined or receptive to paying out of pocket. All they ask you is always, "Oh, does insurance pay for it? <laughs> if no, yeah. then don't don't uh, don't worry about it. Forget about it." And so we we did have those challenges at the beginning, but um, we keep being persistent, and we actually talked to some some superintendent or you know healthcare administrator and let them understand you know the importance of um, myopia care for children. And in fact, a lot of um, children are suffering from learning, mainly because of vision problem, as you probably can echo to that. And uh, so most of the time, they don't understand the health implication of why we care vision care so much, mainly because they, they, they think that it's just um, one of the many uh, um, sense that we, we care about. But Vision by far is definitely one of the um, contributing factor for um, learning deficit. And you last know, but not least, I also want to touch upon you know the 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 big subject about you know how to get from clinical being a clinician to being a public speaker as a tech talk speaker, and that is a really good opportunity. And I'm very fortunate and honored to have that opportunity. 
because um, without that stepping stone, I will not be able to reach out to those um, um, layperson, you know, general public, talking to parents, talking to teachers, talking to nurses, because that's this by far the one stepping stone for me to reach the audience all at once. And I imagine I, I can I can still recall the the vivid memory that you know at, on that day about three years ago I stepped on stage in front of um, over a thousand people. That was before COVID, and uh, people are so excited and ecstatic about healthcare because I was the only healthcare representative in the entire arena on that day. So I really I feel like I have been carrying a really uh, a big uh, burden for for me to do a good job to be the ambassador for uh, eye care. So at that time, I really did um, um, something that I never imagined I've been doing in my life. And is to talk to thousands of people for the something that I'm passionate about. And uh, at the end of the, the section, I remember a parent who um, come to me almost bawling her eye out and saying that I wish I could have listened to your talk 20 years ago. I could have helped my daughter, all right, because she was already at minus 10 diopter. So that is a really heartwarming thing to, to hear, you know, if... If you don't do our job, you know, I think this is uh, it's a miss, miss opportunity not to do it well, you know, as a primary care provider. You know, I think the uh, that's a challenge when you have patients, parents that that sort of take this burden like, oh, they it was their fault that they didn't do anything. How do you generally respond to that? Obviously, you don't want to guilt them. You know, you can only help them look forward. This is what we have today. And how we can help your kid is by looking forward. These are the available uh, treatment um, uh, modality that we can consider. Back in the old days, you and I may not have that opportunity, but now we're so fortunate enough to have this type of modality to provide to your children. So uh, I think that is a optimism we can bring them. Obviously, we cannot, we cannot look back and change the way myopia have developed. But the sooner we can um, disseminate this idea out, the, the, the better the results would be. How do you respond to the pediatrician who already has an existing relationship with like a pediatric ophthalmologist who they send everything to uh, that is either skeptical of, of myopia management or hasn't ever heard of it before or already doesn't want to break the relationship because they just assume that the pediatrician that they're going to, they're the pediatric ophthalmologist that they're going to send those, those patients to is going to uh, treat those patients if it's appropriate. How do you respond to that? That is another status quo that we tried to overcome uh, when we first started because we already are aware that, you know, pediatric ophthalmologist is the first source, you know, for the pediatrician. Um, but it's actually a good uh, opportunity for us as optometrists to work alongside with the ophthalmologist. And most of the time they will say, oh, um, your kid is too young or um, just not ready enough for contact lenses or orthokeratology. Um, but that is actually the, the door for us to introduce them. Okay, there's actually other viable opportunity for your patient in addition to patient um, prescribing atropine, you know, that's great, you know, but some patients may need to have more than just one treatment alone. So we provide us as the, um, you know, the source for providing them contact lens option. If the patient do need that service, okay, we're here to help your patient out. So we're not taking patient away from the ophthalmologist, 
but also at the same time, we can share the care um, um, mutually. You know, I want to read this to you. I, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Hopefully, I, hopefully it will come up. But essentially, one of the things that I thought was really interesting uh, about the, the position that the American Academy of Ophthalmology has taken on myopia management uh, when I read this uh, was essentially that the risks and benefits of orthokeratology um, don't outweigh the, the risks of orthokeratology don't outweigh there's and there's more cost effective options. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so they've, they've sort of softened that a little bit, but, um, but they kind of put this, there's a risk of infection with ortho K lenses. This is exactly what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, quote, there is a risk of infection with ortho K lenses. They are also more difficult to fit compared to regular contact lenses and more follow-up visits to the doctor is needed. That's how they end their kind of assessment of orthokeratology within myopia management. And this was November, this was actually uh, two days, three days ago. There was another position patient that they, that they talk about um, the fact that it's a, it's not a cost effective option. How do you respond to that? That's an interesting question. Not a cost effective treatment. What do they mean by that? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think, you know, I'm a little jaded. You know, I, I guess uh, I, I, I can't find that statement right off the top of my head here. But the, the, the statement of kind of there's this is what I want you to respond to mainly is there is, you know, after we talk about ortho K lenses, um, there's a risk of infection with ortho K lenses. How would you respond to that? So I would tell my patient that, you know, risk of infection is definitely present for every type of contact lens modality, including ortho-K. And, uh, but studies have found that um, the risk of having microbial keratitis or any other eye infection is very negligible, as long as you take good care of the lenses, um, maintain good hygiene. And that's what I've been uh, telling and sharing the, um, you know, the knowledge with the ophthalmologists. Many of them actually are surprisingly quite receptive you know, when you do a one-on-one conversation, especially the young uh, MD, they're actually quite um, embracing myopia management as part of the arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect that as well. I think, um, I think my my reaction to to it is, well, yes, contact lenses have risks, medications have risks, surgeries have risks. Um, it seems it seems still like they're trying to kind of stay away from like trying to advise people away from it. Um, although they're kind of begrudging this a little bit more, it's kind of interesting to see over the last couple of years how they've seemingly slightly warmed to the idea. But um, you know, they um, they kind of minimize some of the risks of the other other options. That's that's the only thing I thought was striking within those kind of comments. And I'm trying to find the other one related to uh, cost effective options. But when I first read that, it was uh, what was striking to me in terms of cost effective options was you could take out uh, orthokeratology and insert LASIK and their story wouldn't change. Basically, what they were saying is glasses glasses would be a, a more cost-effective option for patients to correct their nearsightedness. And, uh, and orthokeratology has all these other risks, so it's probably not worth doing. And then if you could just insert, right, like, yeah, mm. myopia can be managed with glasses. Uh, and LASIK, it has all these other potential side effects. So you should just 
stay with with uh, glasses, right? Like they would have never made that same comment from a surgical standpoint. And I think it was just interesting, right? That's that's uh, I don't know. It's neither here nor there, but it's an interesting thing if 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 um, if they're taking a position like that. Uh, it's just important to know how would we respond to that position, especially if if that's their their organization. Yeah, I also find it interesting that you know they. I mean, on a good side, you know, they soften up the stance about myopia management is not harmful, not detrimental. Um, but at the same time, I found that one of the strategies I've been doing with ophthalmology, especially for those patients sent from the MD office, I will actually send them an annual report, you know, back to them, you know, even though they may not be the one who referred the patient out. And I want to make a statement that, you know, your your patient is doing really well with OrthoCare. <laughs> so kind of... Um, negate the fact that what you're saying is probably untrue and that there's a lot of uh, robust evidence and data out there suggesting that OrthoK is by far one of the most effective modality for myopia management. So they're missing the huge opportunity, you know, if they want to truly help the patient for myopia. You know, when I met, when I, when we met at AAOMC, um, I was like, I rarely in our profession feel like a fish out of water. You know, I've been doing myopia management in our practice for basically since I've been, um, actually I would say I've been doing orthokeratology in our practice and probably some myopia management unintentionally for the first three to four years of, you know, doing uh, orthokeratology. But uh, but then as soon as we sort of start seeing some of the evidence come out, really kind of good evidence with orthokeratology in the early tens, uh, late, late what zeros or knots and then early tens uh you know we're kind of doing it more purposefully and um and so i say all that to say that uh i still felt like a fish out of water you know <laughs> like when i was at aomc they they are uh i i rarely go into a situation where i don't know a significant number of people and the only person really pretty much that i knew at that conference was cheryl chapman uh, who's mm. also a partner in uh, of mine in Peak, um, and then uh, we've got a long, long-standing kind of history within the profession, and so mm. she's been awesome. She, I mean, she's she's a wonk on a lot of this stuff, and she was good to kind of introduce me to a few other people, but it felt just totally uh, weird to me. And so <laughs> one of the things I thought about was, all right, well, first, how many how many kind of general primary care optometrists are out there? that uh would feel the same way in a conference like that it wasn't that people weren't welcoming it's just you know just it wasn't my normal crowd and mm-hmm. then second what is your perspe- perception on how um how many of us are managing myopia like in terms of of the the population like really managing it right within their practice um what what's your sense right now of, of optometrists primary care optometrists managing myopia Beyond just the, the spectacle correction of refractive air or contact lens correction of refractive air. Yeah, so I think I read a study a while ago saying that um, they found 80% of those respondents who are mostly uh, primary care eye provider, and 80% of them said um, they believe and understand the importance of myopia management, and they also prescribe ortho K. But I think less than 40% of them actually actively manage myopia using all those modalities that they talk about. So that's a huge knowledge gap and discrepancy of what the beliefs are versus what the actions actually tells. So uh, obviously, you know, you and I know there's still a lot more work need to be done 
to spread the word out. Let alone, it's not just about public awareness of myopia management. It's how to convince our colleagues, our peers, to to be on the same same ground. Okay, because as as far as we know, Canada is one of the first country that uh, fully recognized myopia management as a center of care. You know, mm. and this is something we truly need to work on as a profession. You know, otherwise we'll be all over the places. Many patients coming into my office and say, oh, Dr. X, Y, and Z says so-and-so. And they have no idea how to, you know, um, make, make it uh, make sense to them, you know, because every single doctor said different things. And we as a profession, if we don't, cannot be seen on the same ground. And it's just hard for us to, to you know, make it a better place. So going back to the question about, I, I do agree, you know, when I first uh, joined AOMC, it's... This could be very daunting, could be very overwhelming. And uh, I don't, I didn't know anyone. And um, I was sitting in the corner and I just want to listen, you know, to what they say. And, um, but I think, I think AOMC is still kind of hidden in the gem. And um, not a lot of people know about the organization and what, what it does. So I think um, using different, this type of platform and sharing the, the knowledge of AOMC is a great thing to for ECP to understand there's a lot more out there, just the primary eye care. And uh, I'm sure many of you have participated in different um, lecture workshop in dry eye, glaucoma, or um, refractive surgery, but many of them does not include myopia management. Many, many ECP is still hesitant to jump into the pool of treating uh, children. Why and that, that is, is a quick challenge, mainly because most of the time they, they thought it could be very time consuming and not cost effective or simply um, they don't have enough resources for dealing with pediatric care. But in fact, you know, in my day to day practice, I only see kids day in, day out, even though I, I would say it's quite exhausting at times. But, you know, you you actually make a huge difference for those young kids because they are looking up to you 10 years later. Oh, Dr. So-and-so, Dr. Wolf, Dr. Chen have saw me 10 years ago, fixed my myopia. Now I'm still at the same prescription. So it's a really huge rewarding um, testimonial for us to, to see. challenging things with patients is when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and and customized lenses it can be challenging to keep those lenses clean keep them scratch free smudge free and so we now have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients the best in class anti-reflective coating in a way that is really high resistance so that they're not uh, having to care for their lenses as much as when those lenses are caring for them so remember that you can provide patients that best best in quality, best in class, transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com slash Crizal. You know, I get questions all the time about how do we use 9.2 codes and 9.9 codes and which ICD codes go with different CPT codes and what can be built together and what can't. And this confusion, this uncertainty really holds us back oftentimes to be able to do what we want to do, which is help our patients see clearly and provide their best opportunity for a lifelong vision. And so we built iCode Education for that specific purpose. 
Uh, we have lots of resources that are based in helping you understand disease states, helping you understand revenue cycles and billing and coding practices. So check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. And we have a specific uh, bundle there for you if you'd like to take advantage of it. It's the Premier Billing and Coding Bundle. We've got a 10% discount code just for listeners of this show. Uh, you can just, in the coupon code at checkout, you can enter in iCodeMedia22. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to have you. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. Why is myopia management important? I think, I think I'm going to ask you that question. I'm going to preface it by saying if, if, if we say, if we survey primary eye care providers and they say that 80, 80% of them say they, that myopia management is important, but 40% of them actually do something about it, there's probably got to be this disconnect between like, yeah, it's important, but like, I don't have this really burning deep drive to say like zero myopia progression is what's acceptable or or at least half right i'm, I'm not gonna i'm gonna accept nothing less than half or 60 percent or something like where does the the complete kind of embracement of the importance of myopia management come from in from your perspective and how can you communicate that to other doctors who are kind of like yeah it's important but look a minus four it's not that much worse than a minus three or a minus two. It's not that much worse, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you communicate that to people? And how do you, how do you start kind of owning that as like, no, there is, you know, any progression is too much progression or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So definitely a broad question. And I think the, the way I usually address this is by sharing the analogy of um, when you treat glaucoma, you know, you have a patient with IOP you know, early to mid twenties or having a suspicious cupping, you know, why do you consider it important? I will throw that question back to them. Okay. why do you think is this important to treat that sus- uh, glaucoma suspect? You know, it, it's going to take you a lot of chair time and follow visit to do visual feel and other ancillary testing. And they said, oh, it's because we want to prevent vision loss. I think that echoes them right away. You know, oh, light bulb, myopia management is important mainly because we want to prevent any type of ocular manifestation of like retinal detachment, glaucoma, um, um, and cataract. In addition, I would also like to address the global epidemic of myopia from an epidemiological perspective. According to Dr. Mark Bullimore and Noel Brennan, they did a paper back in 2019 titled Why Each Diopter Matter. What they found was every diopter increase in myopia it is directly associated with 67% increase in terms of the prevalence of myopic maculopathy. On contrary, if we were able to slow down or reduce myopia by one diopter, it will actually help reduce the likelihood of patients developing myopic maculopathy by nearly 40%. And this trend has shown to uh, hold true among all levels of myopia. More recently, another paper was published early this year by the same two researchers, they did a paper on an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I found it very interesting and fascinating. They specifically look into among all East Asians by delaying the onset of myopia by one year actually have a potential to reduce the final myopia level by nearly three quarters diopter or more. 
which is equivalent to um, two to three years of doing myopia management with the current existing modality. So practically, I encourage all ECP not to lose sight of those low myopes or even if they are just hyperopes because those are the kids who may be growing the fastest. You really want to pay attention to how quickly they grow or progress. And if you can do something to prevent myopia from occurring in the first place, prevention is key. It's, it's just not about seeing. Vision is about how to manage the lifestyle. And as you probably heard about, you know, myopia management is not just about the clinical modality. It's all about managing the lifestyle, behavioral changes, all these things come into play. We are doing this as a holistic approach. And so don't, I mean, try to not to fixate on just which modality work best or which um, type of biometry work best. It's just part of the equation to make it possible. And so obviously there's a, a lot of ECP still um, are a little hesitant about, you know, getting into the field or simply feel overwhelmed when we get to that type of big conference. I, I, I feel that. And I also experienced that. But I think the first thing we want to do as a profession is really just, you know, plant a seed out. Okay. You really need to talk to your patient about this idea. All right. And if you don't really mention that, no one would know. And by the time they find out about it through Google, and uh, it's probably you're not doing a, a good job um, to, to uh, provide the best care for your patient. That's my personal opinion then is zero progression uh is that a is that a achievable standard in the majority of patients well we expect young kid definitely grow um based on the development stage and uh we don't expect zero growth in fact it is not not really realistic and not attainable um majority of our patients typically would slow down um, or at least having a reduction of myopia progression by nearly 75% when they first start treatment. We actually done a three-year retrospective study looking into all these sorts of clinical efficacy and see you know, how far we can go. Obviously, we cannot achieve 100% reduction rate, but 75% or higher is actually a really decent number. And we typically expect based on the Amotropic growth will expect the kid to grow about 0.1 to 0.15 millimeter per year, even without any type of treatment. So that's considered normal. And what we try to achieve is not to um, reverse the progress. All right. We just want to slow it down, mitigating the growth over time. And um, yeah, so that's, that is something that, that is definitely attainable if we can do something out, uh, uh, at least a very minimum. And so you're, so then what you would say then is an annual progression of, so you would be happy uh, with, with maintaining this simple, this, this uh, straightforward, like the existing treatment plan. If a patient was progressing at a rate of um, anywhere between 0.75 and 0.5, uh, 0.05, 0.075 and 0.0, wait, you said, you said the normal progression rate was. Point one meters, point one. Yeah, so 2. you'd be accepting 5. of zero point five, zero point zero five, or zero point zero seven five, and and that amount of progression in your mind would say, look, this is this is basically half, or if you can push it further than that, you're you're saying, okay, seventy five percent. So maybe we we cut out another quarter off of that. So I don't know. 
0.05 to 0.03 or something like that. That would be kind of acceptable to you. That is considered pretty a successful case. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you wouldn't necessarily say, boy, we got to do another thing, right? They're they're coming in orthokeratology. You've got that stability or relative stability or progression, you you know, minimal progression. You wouldn't say, well, now we've got to change your optic zone uh, in your orthokeratology, or we've got to change, or maybe treatment zone is the better word, or we've got to add atropine or or, you know, whatever, you wouldn't necessarily push on that because you're, you're not having the perspective of, we can't progress at all. That's correct. That's what be my approach. And um, we typically don't want to initiate combined treatment uh, at the beginning, unless patient is already at high risk and based on the risk profile. And, uh, but majority of our patient tip- typically would do well, even with just ortho K or soft lenses. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. And I'm always, I always uh, laugh when I see a study that was done by one doctor in one clinic that says, you know, their success rate was a hundred percent, you know, but (laughs) it is weird because when I, when I talk to other providers, um, you know, they kind of have this same, same thought is like a lot of the studies will show from an orthokeratology standpoint, you know, depending on the study and there's some other nuances there, but you know, 40 to percent reduction to 80 percent reduction there's kind of this wide swath of of different uh, impacts and i know you can you can look at a lot of different variables within those studies but i find that you know boy mo- most of my orthokeratology patients are pretty darn stable and when i talk to other orthokeratologists they say the same thing you know they say that most of their patients with just a single treatment like that are mm-hmm. more stable than what they would expect based on the the preponderance of those studies what are your thoughts about that yeah so i think um having mono treatment is obviously better than nothing you know better than single vision spectacles and um Many patients are just not aware of ortho K and soft multifocal lenses. And whenever they heard about something, oh, contact lens touching my eye, oh, it's, it's not going to be worth working for your kid. But I can reassure them that, you know, this is something um, better than what you expected. You know, kids are actually surprisingly doing better than adult and teenager. And uh, contact lens is definitely one of the greatest modality for treating children. So... Dr. Chan, let me let me kind of give you one last thought. Like if you had a parting words for the audience about about myopia management and kind of the the incorporation of that at any higher level than what you're doing right now. What do you say to them? Yeah, I think um, as a primary eye care provider and we need to we have obligation to make the best out of um, um myopia care because what we're doing right now and um it's just not enough not saying we're doing it wrong but i think we've been doing it for the past 700 years prescribing single vision glasses you know in historically and it's just not needing to cut anymore because especially if the technology is getting better and better we are advancing and but we're still prescribing the same old uh, modality 700 years ago we are not doing the best interest for your patient. And even if you have a lot of thought, uh, hesitation in your mind saying, we don't have resources to buy this equipment, or I don't have enough staff or enough time allocated to myopia management, I think all these things can be sorted out as long as your mind is set into myopia management. And again, not every ECP needs to uh, dedicate a practice solely in myopia management. That's not my, my goal. My goal is to 
hopefully plant the seed into every doctor's mind that myopia management is one of the things that could be the most rewarding, if not the most, could be one of the most rewarding things that you can do in eye care because you're changing someone's trajectory to better vision for life. Awesome. And then people want to reach out to you, have questions, want to book you to come talk. How do they find you? Sure. So um, you can definitely email me, uh, kevin.chen at treehousesize.com. Um, we'll be happy to uh, address any questions or feel free to come in for a visit. I'll be happy to share with you about what we do in Treehouse Size. Awesome. Well, Dr. Chan, thanks so much for doing this. It was fun to meet you in person. It's fun to do this again virtually. And I hope to see you soon at another meeting. And uh, again, appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it.